this is what's made me like do this conversation with you because again what's in my control is the fact that I can work on my ability to speak so I can be part of the webinar conversation and if people do fall out that's okay we have a backup like that's a lesson I learned from that failure. Lucy welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. I've been dying to ask you this question uh when I was looking up your profile and just like reading into you like the things that you've done at one point obviously you were working in sales and not only were you working in sales but you've closed some pretty impressive logos you know uh, formula one sainsbury at one point we've had other guests who came from a sales background but they have sort of like self-admittedly said you know what sales is not for me i saw your profile and i'm like like what why like i just had so many questions about like you kind of making the move over to marketing because it seemed like things were going really well for you sales wise so i did the move to sales because um i was I'd been at that company for a while and I really was passionate about products and the brands and the people, um, but I wanted to switch it up. So I thought, right, let's try sales and see what it's like from their perspective in regards to marketing support, marketing tools, intent data, just imported loads of different um, intent tools into the system. And I wanted to try it out for myself. And um, when I was in sales, I realized quite quickly that it is the most frustrating job ever <laughs> the amount of energy and effort that I would put into a, like certain big accounts um that I was just willing with all my might to close like, I was trying everything under the sun and then like a competitor would just undercut and just cut their prices in half and there's just nothing you can do about it and you just have to say goodbye and then all that work is just gone whereas in marketing you can create a website, you can create a poster, whatever bit of work you do, even if you don't end up using the campaign, you end up using it later on or cutting bits or doing something. But those deals that I lost, I was just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't take the heat. I didn't enjoy it. I really enjoyed obviously winning things and building relationships. That was lovely because you're very social in that role, um, more so than in marketing, I think. Yeah, uh, but but you felt like yeah. the effort was almost uh, it was almost like one to one as opposed to like I was like one to many where you could kind of reuse things. Yeah. yeah, and I felt less in control in sales than I do in marketing. I feel like in marketing, if you use the right ingredients and you do enough research and you have enough data, you're always going to have a positive outcome. Whereas with sales, like you could come across a really moody CFO who has had a bad uh, relationship with a previous vendor or a good relationship with another vendor and they just make the decision and you didn't even get to meet that CFO because that's not within your stakeholders mm -hmm. and I just no I can't I'm too much this is really bad but I'm too much of a control freak to be able to last a long time in sales and um, I'm trying to work on that in my, my personal life so maybe in like in a couple of years time I could do that but yeah so that's you, why you were doing marketing sure work before before I mean I think it was like you kind of started with marketing, but then you went to sales and you realized, you know what, actually marketing is, is, sounds more like home to me. Yes. So, um, I did the standard thing every young person does. I started as a social media intern and then that just opens door into marketing. Um, and then uh, my family, it comes from a sales background, like proper old school. My granddad in the 80s is knocking on doors in Essex, selling them double glazing. My dad was in the shopping centre selling people pictures. Like, that is my world. Um, so I thought, yeah, I can do it. And 
was there any sort of like expectations of like, hey, Lucy, like, you know, you, you, you know, you need to kind of carry the torch forward or something like that? Um, I think, no, I think I'm very lucky with my family where there's just this assumption that it's just going to happen. Like everything will always just work out. And my, my dad, my dad says, I don't bring up lazy children. So he's like, you all have this work ethic and whatever you put your mind to, you're going to succeed and achieve. Um, so it's not that kind of like going to sales because I did sales. I think long-term in the way, way, way future, I want to be in a similar kind of space to my dad. He's got his own business and I want to have that myself. And because of his support, just like subconscious support, it's really strange. It's not like we speak about it every single day, yeah. but that's where I think long-term I'll get to. And I'll use those sales skills that I had for that. So nothing's wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I I love that. Like, uh, it seems like as a as a as a family, like it, it's almost like the that principle has been instilled of like, you know what, like what what like whatever it, it, it all the specific path almost doesn't matter as much as it is the the sort of work ethic and the the principles that you bring into that, um, which which uh, I think worked worked out great for you. Uh, so I guess to to help me set the stage uh, before we rewind the tape. Uh, do you want to tell folks a little bit about what you currently do and then and then we'll we'll take it from the top okay so right now my role is head of marketing and growth for the uk and netherlands here at rise up rise up is a uh, learning management system so an lms lxp learning experience platform and authoring tool and what that essentially means is that businesses and training providers use our technology platform our software to host their uh, learning content. So they can track the performance of their learning experiences and learning paths to onboard new employees, to upskill, to reskill. And obviously given what's going on at the moment with AI, it's actually really, really important. And that it's becoming a much bigger discussion outside of like sort of the learning industry. Um, and yeah, so I look after the UK and then the Netherlands as well. Um, and then we have a CMO in France and we have um, a German lead in, obviously, Germany. <laughs> but yeah, the UK growth is uh, my main responsibility. Awesome, awesome. Got it. Um, and I think I think you guys are primarily based in, in, in France, right? Yes. So the headquarters in France yeah. and then we have an office in King's Cross right by the Eurostar, which I'm in today. Awesome, awesome. Cool. All right. So... I'm, I'm curious to see where you're going to take us with this. Uh, what was one failure for you? This is the thing, because obviously you get given the questions before. I really hate the term failure. And I always like, again, this from it's from my family. It's like we can't believe that there is this thing of failure. But when I actually thought about it, it was like, potentially some people might view me being in sales as a failure because I didn't make it a long-standing career. But I don't see it like that. The other failures that I've had like one I've had that I was really frustrated with was we host we were going to host a webinar um and it had to get cancelled the morning of because of um speakers not being available and it meant that all the like like the, all the promotions and the registrations and everything that had happened um it just went away oh, and so was it was it more than one speaker all of them not available on the day 
No, it was one key speaker and it was two, it was 200 registrations and a lot of them were really like great vibe sonas. Yeah. Um, oh. so yeah, so I know. <laughs> The thing is, I love this because marketers understand, whereas anyone else are like, so I just reschedule. It's like, yeah, it's not like <laughs> um, But then this is what's made me like do this conversation with you because, again, what's in my control is the fact that I can work on my ability to speak so I can be part of the webinar conversation. And if people do fall out, that's okay. We have a backup. Um, so, yeah, you, like, that's a lesson I learned from that failure. Yeah. How did it make you feel like while well, this was well, like on the day? It's not great, but it's not great. Um, it's frustrating, but at the same time, like you, you can only control what you can control. And I'm, I'm not here to like be one of these really angry people or other people. It's just like, okay, let's pivot and let's do something else because we've not got those leads now. So what can we do to fill in that, that space where we should have had that? And yeah, just being flexible. Yeah, I mean, and the reason the reason I ask is because uh, I I had a, a moment which was like experience which almost like was the inverse of that uh, because I'm an idiot. Uh, I got invited to speak somewhere uh, much much smaller scale, like a it was kind of like a like a webinar or a workshop, um, and it was actually my idea, and they graciously accepted to like host me in front of their audience, kind of thing, like virtually, um, and I, I I think I went to the <laughs> Uh, I think I went to the beach that day and I completely lost track of time and I came back home and you know the way when like when you get like uh, ho hopefully you never oh have God. to go through this feeling but like you, you know you check your email and it's like three emails kind of like replying to each other it's like hey are you here like you know two minutes in five minutes in it's like hey we're still here um, and that person uh, graciously said hey um, I guess you could make it for some reason but but let's let's definitely reschedule and so on and I I was just so you can probably feel like how how embarrassed I was, uh, but I could was, like imagine how hot you suddenly got when you just saw all the emails. Um, oh my god! Because the worst part <laughs> is that I thought I thought that like I was very aware of this. I was like, I'm gonna go to the beach, and I, like I was very clear. I, it was somewhere in the US. US. Um, I'm based in here in Ireland, same, similar time zone to you in the UK. Uh, and in my mind, I was like, yeah, yeah it's 7 p.m. my time. And and it was it was only five p.m. But I realized that it was actually five p.m. Uh, that that I was basically like two hours late. Uh, so, yeah, I, you know, I, yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, like, I, I, I this is the, especially when you know that you wanted to to do it and you were like literally, it was literally on your mind, obviously, um, but just something that's kind of like out of your control in the sense that, like, on the one hand, you're really looking forward to it, but on the other hand. Uh, you just completely blanked out. So, um, yeah, uh, I, it was good that you confirmed that it, <laughs> that, that you helped me understand what it feels like on the other side. So now I feel uh, even worse because <laughs> I, I remember that experience now. Um, but I, That's the thing. That's the good yeah. thing about it. It's like every marketer has had events cancelled. I feel like COVID, I, the company I was at there, we had a customer conference for 100 people eight speakers all confirmed so many invites and out signed with the hotel etc etc and then it poof it's just gone and i think that is a key part of marketing just being flexible and not letting it eat you up because yeah it is so annoying yeah. did you enjoy the beach side was the beach good oh come on <laughs> uh the beach the beach <laughs> was uh yeah it was bittersweet let's put it that way <laughs> <laughs> reflecting back on uh the sun was up though so that's that's good for sure 
Um, so, okay, so shifting gears a little bit, um, uh, what was one book for you? Um, so my marketing book that I've got here is ABM is B2B. That was the book that um, basically helped open me to the world of ABM and really start to understand this like new way of marketing and really like look at those enterprise accounts as opposed to just whatever comes into the system. Yeah. And uh, what 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 can you what can you share about that specifically? Like in terms of things that you're kind of things that you've kind of like taken away from it in, in your career. So I read that book when we were in the pandemic and all the trade shows kept cancelling and the company I was at at the time, uh, the trade shows were a huge kind of like revenue engine for us. Um, and the book just offered this kind of hope and light around the fact that you can create these like personalized, because essentially events are creating those relationships, right? It's like you get to speak to someone as opposed to keep sending them emails, ringing them up and all of these things. And they appreciate it so much more. And with ABM, it's almost like recreating that relationship digitally if you do it right. And there's so many different pieces to it. It's like the right message at the right time to the right people. So you have to be super organized. You've got to um, have all the tools in place and people are like, oh, you don't need technology and tools for ABM. I'm like, yeah, you do. You really, really do. <laughs> so, because otherwise it is a bit of a stab in the dark. A lot of people aren't in buying mode or pre-buying mode at that right at, right at that point. And you don't want to keep wasting all your energy and resources, particularly where I come from with these startups and scale-ups. We're too small to do that. So we have to be super smart about who we target. And that book taught me that. That's, it reminds me of uh, something that I've been learning from the, um, the content of um, Chris Walker from Refine Labs. And he always talks about like, um, as I understand it, like, that like more or less like 95% of our addressable audience are pretty much uh, not ready to buy there like in that kind of like demand generation sort of stage as opposed to the the 5% that uh, to your point Lucy are in the demand capture stage and a lot of times we were uh, are, we as marketers like we talk we, we create a lot of content that's you know focused on that demand capture stage like you know case studies and testimonials and more white papers and more positive quotes and more reviews and so on and it's like, hey, like I don't even, I don't even know you. Like, what you're, 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 you're showing these things on my face, and I don't, I don't even know who you are yet. Um, and I, by the, and honestly, I don't even know if I have a, a problem. And there's this whole thing about like problem unaware, and then to get them to problem aware in the first place. So I'm curious because you know, the fact that you guys are like a startup scale up. Obviously, time is very precious. How, how did you, how did you balance that? Like, what are some things that you've learned? So key things that I've learned is looking at um, your the historical data that you have. So the UK um, arm of Rise Up hasn't been going for as long as the, the French team. The French team has been going right, since yeah. 2014. So looking at their data and understanding their uh, customer profiles and what's performed really, really well, whilst also bearing in mind that a French market is different from a UK market, and then looking at the deals that have closed in the UK over the last couple of years. Because, and this is something um, I know people are very, very excited by big glamorous brands and like the huge ones that your mum and dad will know and all of those different things. And sometimes people get so lost in that, they ignore like the medium size or even the small companies that will actually enable you to tick over 
to get those case studies, those reviews on G2, all of those things to then go for the bigger ones. So my advice for always looking at sales and stuff, the key thing for me as well, it's so ironic because my sector was retail when I was in sales, but I say to the sales team and the SDRs, I'm like, don't go for, uh, don't go for retail because every single competitor is going to go for retail because mm. that's the brands everyone knows and everyone wants to grab them. The shiny Much better off going for the boring things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's where that's where the money is. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of like, uh, I, I guess like diving a bit deeper because I'm I'm personally curious. Like, how do you build a relationship with someone who's not uh, ready to buy? Like in your experience. So, well, that's kind of like the best thing. If they're not ready to buy yet, there's no competition. Mm. So, it's really really important. Another book that I read that I really got a lot from was called The Challenger. And that's more from a sales perspective, but they basically, they map out this sales Oh, the, the challenger sale, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Oh my God. And the deck that they outline with that around like basically teaching them that they have a problem that they don't even know that they have. So then you're in, no one else knows about it. It's just you and your buyer and you're having this conversation. You're teaching them, educating them, building that trust, showing that you have the solution to provide it. That is so much stronger. And wider than that from a marketing perspective you can't deliver content that's crap <laughs> people deliver content, yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry i should have sworn but you shouldn't you shouldn't produce blogs for the sake of seo i, I genuinely i don't believe in that i really believe in the fact that like to always give people value and if you do that and every guide and every blog actually has some key tangible takeaways that they can share with their peers and use in their day-to-day you naturally build that relationship. And I've yeah. found that before where people have said, oh my God, I had your guide. I didn't know who you guys were, but now I'm meeting you and now we're ready to buy. So that's the other thing. Content needs to be actually practically useful. And if you read it, this is always the best test. And I say this to my marketing assistant, like I give her an old white paper that we might have had before. And I'm like, should we reuse it? And I'm like, are you bored? And she's like, yeah, it's 12 pages. It's so boring. It's like, right, if you're being made to read this and you're bored, we need to cut this. We need to completely change it. Um, I love that. Yeah, I love that test. Because yeah. naturally, there is there is a like we can't help it, but like there is a tiny bit of bias of like when whenever we create anything, it's, it's like our baby. It's like yeah, that's probably nice. And imagine if you're if you're saying that that itself is boring. Imagine what other people would me me think exactly. of. So it's a really good test for sure. Yeah, we get yeah. paid to read it. We don't even want to read it. That's when you know it's bad. No, that's funny. Uh, but but it's it's such it's such a good test though, and I think it it kind of pushes pushes us to uh, ask like more sort of like critical questions or like the harder questions around genuinely what do they care about right now, um, as opposed to like just getting something that's just so generic that anyone could have could have done. Um, so uh, so yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense, and I I love that book by the way, the Challenger Sale. I've read it uh, a couple of years ago. Um, a colleague of mine who was in uh, who was in HubSpot who was like a top sales performer, like she said, she was actually the number one um, uh, sales sales rep in HubSpot. Uh, and she she said, uh, we had her on, on, a, on, a, on a previous show in a, in a former life. And she said, listen, this is the book that like, if it's if it comes down to a book, like this is the book that she'd recommend for sure. Um, yeah. Makes sense. Awesome. Well, what is, uh, or rather, who is one person for you across kind of like your sales and marketing world, someone that kind of helped guide the way? there's to be honest with you i've answered this differently there's too many people that 
There is. I know it's a political question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've one. I've got ex colleagues that, and I had some really good advice recently. I've got this new mentor who's who's literally just come into my life. We've only had one session, but we were speaking a lot about because like a sort of like a business or marketing mentor or a marketing mentor. Oh, nice. And I've never I've never had that before, and it's really refreshing. And I said to her, "Oh my god, sometimes my job it's so consuming." And I tell my friends and family and they're so bored because they're not in it. They don't understand. And she said to me, and it completely resonated, your ex-colleagues are your best people to speak to because I've got a couple that we clearly have the same sense of humor. We have been in the trenches together. We know the nuances of these tiny private jokes. And um, I've kept some of them for literally years and years and years. And I've, I've been to weddings for them and all of these things. And they hold a very special place in my heart, not from the fact that they like made me the best marketer in the world, but they just kept me sane and happy and yeah. positive in the workplace. And I, I really don't think that's shouted enough about. I think everyone always talks about a manager or a mentor, but actually it's those friends that you build in different departments of different ages and different backgrounds, completely diverse, but that you just click and yeah. Those, that that would be my shout out. Uh, hold on though, because you mentioned a couple of people. So, <laughs> who who would you say? <laughs> so I'm going to say someone completely off sphere. The person I wrote down was Catherine Ryan, because she is someone who um, is very good at, as a woman, very good at holding her space, not being too without being confrontational. She's very good at being direct and uh giving solid advice but not draining her energy and she's also an incredibly hard worker like she's very this is quite crass to say but she's money driven she says i will get out of bed to go and make that money and i think um there's lots of people that don't speak openly like that it's kind of like hush hush whereas i really i really like how honest and frank she is without it coming across in like a really sort of aggressive way um, and I saw her at a conference recently. She was the keynote speaker, and it, I was just everything she was saying. I was like fangirling. So she, if for I feel like for young women particularly, I say that to a lot of my friends and to my sister and her sister's friends. I'm like, listen to Catherine Ryan. You get a lot from her. Yeah. Yeah. Would you? That's 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 definitely noteworthy. Or would there be any kind of like um, uh, for folks who haven't heard her like speak before? Like, are there any kind of specific? Uh, talks or kind of videos that they could look up so she has a podcast called called telling everyone everything and she basically speaks about her life at the start and then she goes into this sort of agony on piece at the end where people write into her and she talks a lot about relationships and about um friendships and confrontations and it is a very female kind of world um <laughs> But that is like the key piece. And if you've never listened to her before, you're in for such a treat. You start at the beginning and just go through. There's, she had a burglary one day. She's had all sorts happen to her. She's really wow. What yeah. What is, I, I wonder like, uh, like how did that kind of like impact the way you you kind of go about your your day-to-day -day with with this almost being like the, the soundtrack in, in some regards? Um. This is like for me, my personal development, I'm really trying to work on like my energy and how much I give to people because 
you can give away so much trying to help and trying to change and get frustrated. And she's very good at just, she looks after herself and she looks after the people that need her help that are open to her help. Otherwise she's, it's a very small circle. Um, and she's, as she says, she's like, I haven't got that much time. She's got kids, she's got her husband and she's got her job and those are her priorities, mm-hmm. but she still makes everyone laugh and everyone happy. So I think for me, and I feel like for a lot of women, there's this whole thing of like, you need to be the martyr and you need to be the nicest girl and you need to just look after everyone. But if you want to progress in your role, in your life, you have to keep something for yourself. And she really helped me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. And going back to something important you said earlier, Lucy, around like sort of staying in touch with like ex-colleagues or just staying in touch with people that can kind of uh, resonate with whatever it is you're going through. I'll be super honest with you and you're going to you're going to hate me forever for this but I used to think that was like a waste of time um in the sense that like I I I have a history of uh you know just being really hard on myself still am trying to get better at it where it's like anything that's not like work or something that's very clear with like a clear kind of like you know ROI or whatever uh I, I tell myself hey you know like toughen up or like you you don't need this this is a distraction and so on um until I read a book that I talked about uh, a lot of times on the on the show uh, called the, the Happiness Advantage by uh, Sean Acker. And he basically pretty much like the thesis of the book is that when you're happier, like you are more successful as opposed to waiting till you're quote unquote successful and then deciding to turn on the happy switch or whatever. And like a big part of that is just having having like some I'm paraphrasing a lot here, but like just having some type of like a almost like a support network that you could vibe off of, like, you know, share stories with, uh, they help you, you help them. And yes, there's no, like, you know, this is, this is how silly I am. Sometimes there's, there's no like clear ROI or dollar attribution to that. But in a way there, there is, or even if there wasn't like the point is that it's just something that really helps to reset your mind so that you can come back to, to work the next day or whatever. And, really approach things from like a fresh perspective. Um, and I know that ever since I've started doing that, uh, it, it's really had such a positive impact on me. So I no longer think that this, um, or, or holidays, whole another topic around holidays, uh, are, are a waste of time. And I think for anyone tuning in and like listening to us right now, uh, one thing that I've learned the hard way after like burning out more times than I care to admit is like taking a break is not a waste of time. Uh, it's not something that you have to like earn or deserve like I used to think and still sometimes think I'm still working on it and same thing with like having a a support group this is not something that is considered uh quote-unquote like weak or whatever like this is actually probably one of the the best ways for you to continue maintaining and like just doing doing what it is that you do Um, that's what I'm learning anyway yeah that's the thing we're in this kind of like hustle culture and everyone and this obsession with like money and data and constantly improving. And ironically, when you are just happy and you have that break and you have that mindfulness and you just have that laughter and time, everything's actually better for it. Um, there's a, I've got Britain down here as well. Stephen Bartlett's latest podcast, Joe Dispetsa. I don't know how I've pronounced it correctly. I'll send it to you afterwards. But he talks, he's basically the psychologist and scientist who analyzes brains and health and all of that. And he talks about meditation and self-worth. And if you have that in abundance, 
people are like growing an, a, another thyroid and they're like not blind anymore. It's like completely revolutionizing the health, also the well-being of your mind. And fundamentally, the key thing that I always say to like marketing assistants or whoever, when they're really, really stressed, I'm like, we're not doctors. We're not here to save lives. This is important. We do need to work as hard as we can, but also we're here to live our life, but only on this period for a sh- uh, planet for a short period of time. Don't miss it just by trying to, I don't know, do an extra couple of hours of work. It's just not worth it. Yeah. I love that. Well, well put. What was one? And yes, please, please do send me that episode. Um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of, uh, of this podcast. Uh, what was one decision for you? My decision was basically before, uh, when I came back from New York for my internship, I really wanted to be in television and I thought it was going to be a casting director. Yeah. I know. Everyone's so much more interested in that than what I actually do. And I was going to be a, (laughs) I was going to be a casting director and meet people all the time and just have conversations. But then, um, I basically, I fell into an interview and I, my decision was accepting that B2B marketing job rather than going down the TV route. Um, and just real quick, uh, did you actually have kind of like a, um, did you kind of have like a job offer or did you have like a solid opportunity on that? Or were you still at the stage of like, I just want to pursue this, but although I don't have like a clear, was it like this job versus this job or? It's quite interesting. I did an internship at a, uh, TV company and they did offer me a job, but it didn't feel right. So I was looking for something else. And then I was temping on a reception desk, just being very chatty. And one of the ladies said, oh, my husband has got a company and I'd like to put you up for an interview because he's looking for a marketing uh, assistant. So I went for the interview just for practice. And then it's just, and this is again, something I really believe in. It's like gut instinct. Um, There was something about it. And I was like, I just need to accept this. I'm not going to be a TV. And that was my decision. And here I am now. Do you ever look back? At, <laughs> do you ever look back at like how things could have been if you kind of went the other way? No, because there's no point. And also, I'm very happy with my lot now. Like I've achieved some really amazing things that I actually don't think I would have been able to have done in TV because it's such a sort of like climb the ladder, really bad money. I live in London. I just have to be realistic. Again, it's something that I've got from my dad. So no, I don't at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's... We don't really learn that much in... Uh, like, what, what did you what did you study in, uh, in college? You're going to be surprised. I studied drama. Ah, okay. <laughs> well, right, right, right. Um, I, w- I was going to say that they don't necessarily teach b2b marketing like that in college uh i i did a marketing degree which i didn't really learn much from wonderful people wonderful professors didn't learn anything though um and that was like a yeah like i i learned i actually didn't learn that much at all uh maybe maybe i just can't comprehend like i can't (laughs) study that that format but i mean yeah like you we don't grow up dreaming to be like b2b marketers or b2b marketing leaders or whatever so did you have kind of like a, did you see, did you kind of like figure it out? You kind of like peel the, the layers of the onion as you kind of climbed up into your career and you're like, oh, I could be that. And this could, this is on the horizon. This is on the horizon. Or from day one, did you kind of see someone or perhaps a group of people and you're like, hey, I didn't even know that was a thing. And, but now I do. So let me, let me go straight for that. The thing was, I remember the CEO said in the interview, he was like, 
I appreciate you probably want to be in B2C, but this is a B2B opportunity and I'd like you to go for it. And I didn't really take it that seriously. I just thought, you know what, it's in Mayfair. I like Mayfair. Um, this is a nice office. I'm just going to go for it. So that was, to be honest with you, quite a, not a very conscious decision. Um, but what has been interesting is that the sectors that I've gone into, so I've done governance, risk and compliance and cybersecurity, uh-huh. marketing, intelligence, and now learning uh, systems. They're all very different, but they all contribute to like the greater good of a team or department or organization. And I do really like that, particularly in the learning sphere. I think everyone should have the accessibility to learn and to develop and grow, particularly with AI and what's happening there. Yeah. And so but that that is very fruitful. Like a lot of my friends, they say, oh, I want to be in a vocation. I want to work for a charity. And how can you work for these like just standard companies? And I say to them, you can find joy and you can find like good in whatever it is you choose to do. I don't think I'd work for example, like a cigarette company that would, I wouldn't do that. It goes against what I believe in, but every single company I've worked at, I've decided to work there partly because of the good that they're doing. Yeah. 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 yeah and I, I love, I love the way that you've, um, you've, you've positioned it because, um, I, I mean, I, I think it's almost like a, as I, as I say many times, like it's, it's almost like a mindset thing. And like, you could, you could decide if, if you are doing good where you are and if you have the capacity to do good, even if it's not something that is, um, you know, very, very kind of like obvious for, 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 you know, people from on the outside and so on. So, um, uh, yeah, like I, I definitely follow that logic. I think in, in terms of, um, like for me, like I actually wanted to, to become a, a musician, but my, my family, they, uh, I guess, it, I, I guess it was good advice. They told me that like, you'll either end up on the streets or you'll be a superstar, most likely on the streets. Um, so why don't you be an engineer or a doctor? Like all other, um, you know, t- typical like Egyptian careers. I'm, I'm, I'm from Egypt and that's kind of like the, the narrative as it is in, in many other countries. It's like, you're either this or you're that, or you could settle for something else, but it's only, uh, only after you've proven to us that you have failed at becoming a doctor or an engineer. And sure enough, I did fa- I tried to become an engineer, um, subconsciously, maybe under the pressure. Like I was like, fine, let me just do, there's only two real career paths and, and fine. Let me just do engineering, barely survived the first year. And, um, uh, from there, like I, I, I was looking for something creative. I was like, hmm, well, maybe something between engineering, but also a bit of creativity. How about architecture? They didn't accept me because my grades were too low. Uh, and then I, I ended up in, in marketing. And uh, it, it, yeah, it was just like, I, I fell into marketing, but I also realized that it was like one of the biggest blessings because it is something that is, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's just it's just something that, that's just helped me grow a lot as a, as a person and so on. But I'll be honest with you, Lucy, like I, I keep thinking about what it would have been like if I actually continued on the sort of original journey. That's why I was asking you the same question. Cause uh, I wonder what would have happened if I, if I like, you know, went down the you, music route. Do you have regrets then? Is that, do you have a slight uh, twinge for it? So, so the way I, my, myself, my, uh, what is, my yeah, my defense mechanism is uh, I just have a bunch of guitars in in the room as you can see here, <laughs> so I just try and pick them up like after work or whatever. This is kind of like the way that I 
that I look longingly at them whilst you're on a Zoom call. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I, I don't want to admit this, but they they are collecting a little bit of dust uh, more more than I care to to admit. Uh, but yeah, I, I, sometimes I I guess yeah, sometimes I do think about it. But I think right now we live in a time like you're talking about like AI and uh, there's there's this whole movement of uh, where it's it's not really a movement. It's something that's been going on for some time. Like this whole notion of like solopreneurship, which um, it can be synonymous maybe with like side hustles for some people where it's like, I have my job, but I'm also doing something on the side. And yes, that thing is making money uh, or it can if I wanted it to. And so this is definitely something that I'm exploring right now where it's like, hey, well, maybe I could still get back to like music and have like a YouTube channel just for like, you know, my, my music stuff or just documenting my journey and so on. Um, I'm curious if you've ever thought of like if if your, your passion for... Um, for tv is something that kind of like still lives on or you're you know you're you're kind of past that at <laughs> the stage it's quite interesting because you've made me remember that basically before i'm literally just before my interview with shore cloud the company that i chose to work for um i read a book called the big four and it was about facebook apple amazon and uber i think someone else can't remember really on that on that netflix i think sometimes like potentially but he he basically said in the book get really good at something that makes money like like a traditional role like as you say engineering marketing something like that he was like do your passions once you retire or as a hobby but you need to in your 20s work super hard and make money like you need those foundations and I don't know if that had a soup like such a big influence as well as that I have got some people in my life who are following their passions. They're doing the music route or acting or anything like that. And I'm really happy to them. They're, they're very like proud. And, but I also think that they're potentially a little bit frustrated at that they've not achieved the success that they wanted to. Quite like sales. It's like you can't control it as much as you can with marketing. Right. So for my personality, yeah, I'm, I'm fine with not being an actress or being behind the TV or anything like that. Yeah, Just let yeah. it go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, there's a book by, um, I know we're past the book stage, but I, I just have to bring this up. It's by uh, Austin Kleon. He's, um, uh, he, he wrote Seal Like an Artist. He wrote uh, Show Your Work, which are two very popular books. And the third one he wrote is called uh, Keep Moving. And he talks about this thing, which I found really interesting, which is that the, today in like modern day world, when we see someone really good at something, like if you see me really good at, um, at, at, at you know, uh, baking uh, cookies, which I started doing last weekend. Terrible at it, but say 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 it turned out okay. You could be, you know, typically a a, compl- a quote unquote compliment would be like, oh my god, you should sell those. You should start a bakery. You should. It, our compliments are very commercial driven. You should start a YouTube channel and monetize it. Um, and he makes a point that like, hey, like you should almost pro- fight to protect your hobbies. Like, not everything has to be a freaking side hustle. Not everything has to make fucking money. Uh, sometimes you could just do a thing for the love of it uh, obviously assuming that you do like it so this is one way that I've kind of come to personally uh, this is one way I've come to terms with like okay I do you know we're, we're doing our startup it's that's the money maker uh, music uh, my goal from it is it's still a big part of my life but it's the goal for it is not to be a, mu- a money maker but rather just be a yeah like an outlet of sorts so um this is something that I've learned because I many times it's kind of the way like when you it's like you, you you go to high school you go to college you some people say you should do a master's you should do whatever else after that 
there's almost like this path of like, okay, well, you're good at your hobby now. You should probably start monetizing it. And I'm, I'm learning that obviously hindsight 2020, like this is not, you shouldn't always necessarily do that. Yeah. And then it's more like, it's more sacred and precious and it's yours. Yeah. And it's actually almost priceless. That's something else. Like recently I've, I've been working out first thing in the morning, like before I have breakfast or anything. And I'm really enjoying it because I'm finding that it's the bit before my day starts for work. Like before I have to start getting ready and going to the office and doing all these things for other people, it's just for me. No one can see me do it. I'm not in the gym flexing, none of that. I'm just doing it for yeah, it's myself. A yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's like, it's good valuation for yourself. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right. So for our final key moment, what was one... What was one learning or accomplishment for you that meant something to you more more than you sort of realized? So that would have been my CIM level six because when I started in my role, in the B2B role, um, I said to them, I need training because I've not got a marketing degree and I, I, I want to not have imposter syndrome. I actually want to feel confident in what it is that I'm saying. So basically I did the level four and then I did the level six and the level six is the equivalent of a diploma degree. Mm -hmm. And the number of weekends that I was sat at my desk revising because I didn't work, I didn't take any time in my work week to train. I did it all at the weekends. Mm -hmm. And my mom was like, Lucy, what are you doing? You work so hard, why are you doing this? But that, no one can take that accomplishment away from me. And it really has set proper confidence and, and validity in what it is that I say and what I believe in. And it actually led me to then go and do Rory Sutherland's Mad Masters, which again, once you've done like the like the proper marketing degree with CIM, to then do that afterwards. And he talks about all these like innovative ways of thinking and perception and different ways of viewing marketing. The two together really complement each other. And if anyone's ever in doubt of like, oh, I know I'm good at marketing, but I don't really feel it. Those two things really help you on your journey. How, yeah. how long did it take you to, to complete it? Because I assume you were doing it on weekends only, right? Yes. Well, and I had uh, one day, like a two hour, three hour lesson on a Wednesday evening. Oh, um, brutal. Yeah. <laughs> after after no. a full work day. Yeah. No, but the thing was, my professors, there's two, Nick Wake and, oh, I can't remember his name. This is, so, he's such a lovely man. But the, those two really, really stand out. And I think about them all the time, as in like when I'm thinking about different things for marketing, not otherwise. And um, I've got them on LinkedIn and I'm so grateful for them and what they taught me. Um, it was definitely worth the time spent. And this is this is like if if I've got any advice for anyone just starting out in marketing, it's like work as hard as you can at the start of your career when you've got all this energy and all this passion because it burns out. Like as you get older and responsibilities change and you get more cynical, you don't have as much capacity. So yeah. do it at the start. That's my key takeaway. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You you oh, you're taking me back now. There there was um, there is a book called the emperor's handbook which is a hardcore kind of like stoic book um based on uh marcus marcus aurelius uh who's one of the the main kind of like uh stoic figures long story short he talks about this thing where it's like 
just because you're like alive and you have a, a brain doesn't mean it's working at full capacity and and like you know you can't just say oh i'll i'll do that when i'm older or i'll do that when i'm you know uh, 50 60 70 whatever you know um like you really have like your prime time to to use to use your mind if, if you like and so uh it makes sense to you were talking earlier about like uh this notion of like uh, really, really like working hard in your twenties and, and using that to build a foundation, going into like your thirties and so on. Um, and I think this is an extension of it. Like, if you want to invest in yourself right now and do something that no one can take away from you, uh, which is to, to get to get that education and to honestly like get re reduce or perhaps even eliminate like this no this like imposter syndrome notion that a lot of us uh, often feel. I, I I think that makes a lot of sense for sure. Yeah. And it also it helps build your muscle memory because particularly if you've just left university, you've still got that in the bank. Yeah. You, can, you can rely on that. But it also means that you have a work ethic that holds you in good stead. You've got good habits. Whereas I've seen some people start out in their careers and it, they're not really doing a lot. And I look at them and I think, oh my God, that's a very dangerous path to go down because it's not always going to be like that and it's going to get harder as you get older. Yeah. So yeah, practice is key. No, 100%. I mean, I used to be very cynical about uh, studying marketing in college just because I didn't have the best experience with that. Um, in, in in the sense that perhaps I've never been a, an engineer or a doctor, but I wonder like if, uh, you know, getting an engineering degree or a marketing degree, like, sorry, an engineering degree or a doctor or a medicine degree or something, um, a lot of the foundations are, are like, they're there, they don't really change. And I used to think, oh, well, marketing is always changing. I mean, you know, look at AI, look at everything else. But I realized that obviously, hindsight 2020, there are a lot of foundations in marketing that, that don't change, right? Um, in terms of like how you build relationships, how you build awareness, how you, um, you know, understand the buyer's journey and so on. And I'm curious, like, how, how have you kind of like used that foundation to, or in other words, like, did you ever feel like the foundation was sort of irrelevant versus like what's coming up? what's what's up and coming these days kind of thing it's really interesting you say that because um i'm actually on a webinar next week talking about ai generative ai and basically content creation and it because nice poet. i think you made a post about that yeah yeah oh my god it was awful very zoomed in but um when the metaverse was a big thing, I was working for a marketing intelligence platform. So I had to do a lot of research around that and the way everyone was talking about it, going on and on and on about it. I was like, oh my God, this is going to change everything. Obviously it didn't. And then I think AI, there's this whole like, oh my God, every job's going to get taken. Everything should be on AI. Da, 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 da. I think the reality is that you have to remember your, like, your principles as a person, as a marketer, Keep those as your cornerstone foundations. If you've got them, you're just wrapping AI around it. It's not AI is not becoming the like cornerstone thing because fundamentally you still need the human being to do the quality checks and to do the prompts and to promote it and all those different things. So if you're interested, I'm doing a plug, I'm sorry, but if you're interested in learning more about content creation and AI and tips and tricks like that, we have a webinar next week. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, hopefully, like, depending on when, when this airs, like, hopefully there will be a, a way for people to, to access the, the recording afterwards as well. Yes. Awesome. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's, it's true. I, I think that, um, I think that like for now, for now, AI is not gonna like, 
replace anyone <laughs> but i think in, yeah. the, in the future i i don't think no anyone knows what's going to happen in the future uh but but you're absolutely right like it's it, it's definitely um it, it definitely pays for us to like just learn how to sort of harness harness that sort of yeah har- harness that technology and, and, and find ways to, to incorporate it obviously um and uh, and yeah like we you know we're we're doing a lot of stuff with ai like internally at the company but naturally there's always going to be this like sort of like human feedback loop involved because uh it's it's not quite it's not quite where we where we want it to be in terms of like the the end result um either that or we just don't know how to use it but so far like we are there's definitely like a human element that we are um incorporating i think as as many are uh but lucy uh, i'm conscious of time i just want to say conscious of your time just want to say thank you so much for coming on in closing um is there anything that you wanted to share about i mean any, anyone that you wanted to help or anything that you wanted to share as yourself or uh as uh as um, from RiseUp's perspective, the one thing that I wanted to share was we have recently launched the Salesforce integration with our system. So what that means nice. is that you can actually plug in learning uh, experiences and trainings into the Salesforce CRM. So your sales team and marketing team doesn't need to leave Salesforce to get some really handy tips and tricks on how to better close the deal or how to use Salesforce or how to um, find the extra stakeholder, all of those pieces. So I think uh, a key thing to think about as marketers and salespeople is learning shouldn't just be on the learning and development team. It should be something you take ownership for and actually you help that learning and development team to uh, get it across the business because then that makes you more competitive, which means more deals, which means more commission and more bonuses for you guys. And then the other thing I will say is um, please check out the Stephen Bartlett podcast with Joe about the psychology, about the meditation, because I've started meditating in the last week and I already feel a lot calmer and better. And yeah, I feel there's a reason I listened to it before this so I could share this. Yeah. That's it. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye.